On the Lollygaggers podcast, we have a little bet over who's going to run out of ideas first. Me and these openings are just in during the close. After today, we can declare a winner. In this episode, Justin gets positive vibes from Stargirl, while Jeff reads through Electric Bastion Land and gets a little bit giddy. Both lollygaggers then travel back to 1989 with Scott Bakula and Quantum Leap. Welcome to episode number 92 of the Lollygaggers Podcast, a show about all sorts of different things from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, man? It's going okay. It's going all right. It is so incredibly hot here today uh in arizona and uh yeah and i'm inside yeah it's sweltering here too it's like uh maybe it's 75 mm-hmm. sure uh, that's it's really that's fair down on me no, that's fine you go ahead and get all uh get all weird like that but i'll just remember this when blizzard season comes and uh you accidentally uh drive your car uh off this off the road and uh like still not fixed <laughs> still, still not, not fixed well what do you need it for where are you going uh, I want to go anywhere. So, yep, exactly. So, uh, but no, things are going pretty well. Been really busy the past week, actually, uh, with uh, getting up a new class. So my my summer classes started, so I've been very busy with that. And then uh, doing the usual various shows and et cetera, et cetera. So that's great. Uh, we've been getting some pretty good uh, feedback from those I've talked to about our first episode of the Unsettled STEM, which is on Thursdays. At uh, 7 Pacific, 9 Central, over on twitch.tv slash RPG. Justin is playing in that. It's an RPG actual play. Uh, people like your character again. Um, yep. Anyway, hey. when they, Sylvester Biggums, he's Syl- a free saw guy. Sylvester Biggums. I'm Sylvester Biggums. <laughs> His voice is so stupid. Uh, but yeah, people seem to like your character again. So clearly I'll have to murder that character by the end of the adventure again. I'll just make another fan favorite. It's okay. Just I, keep I think that's, out. I think that's what happens is that if I don't keep killing them, people will start to realize that they're not that great, and so it's really just, you know, I they're they keep it fresh, they, keep it going. They Let's just go. burn oh, super bright, is what they are. You know, they don't burn long, but they burn super bright. So, uh, but that's pretty fun. Uh, and then uh, we've been loving our heart game on Monday, and that's been getting a lot of good uh, reception from those uh, who have uh, have seen it. And we're getting some uh, some activity on the whole YouTube front to uh, to pick up the uh, the replays and, and whatnot. So, uh, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been busy. So, how about you, buddy? You've been playing anything, reading anything this week? Uh, Mortal Kombat came out there aftermath. So, yeah, I learned RoboCop that. stinks. He's not very funny. He's just a rangy character. Now, is is it he stinks or you just stink? Well, I know I am terrible, but okay. he's just definitely not a place I like. He doesn't have. He's just very clunky, which I don't know what I was thinking. Like he was going to do karate or something, uh, but like he's like a hundred percent ranged. He just kind of shoots at people when he gets close. He does heavy damage. But I've played a lot of Shiva, who's like Goro from the first movie, the four armed creature thing. Yeah, I remember. Um, Shiva is like his sister, and she's pretty fun. And she does the thing where she flies like thirty feet in the air, and then crashes down you. So it's pretty cool. But that's been most of my video game playing. That's been pretty much it. Been reading anything? Any any new comics to talk about this week? What do you got going? Uh, well, I have been reading a lot. There's a there's one I want to talk about next week because I have to finish some mangas, um, which I think you'll have some talking to do about with that. But the biggest thing is I watched Star Girl, um, on DCU. Oh, right on. Star- um, I, it's a new IP, a new TV show. 
on DCU. It's creators Jeff Johns and Greg Berlanti. Stars Beck Bass or Breck Bassinger, who's a the actual star girl. It's got um, Luke Wilson, not the wow, but his brother, you know. Um, Joel McHale's in it for like Luke five Wilson, minutes. as in from from uh, what's it called uh, the uh, the fraternity movie, uh, Old School. Yes, as in Old School. Yeah, um, he plays a very large role in the in the TV show. There's a whole bunch of people in it, but none of them really struck me as like super popular. It also had Amy Smart, who was in Just Friends, who was uh, Ryan Reynolds' uh, opposite in Just Friends. Definitely a favorite of Justin's uh, on this uh, this podcast. He really loves. Probably my favorite. Uh, thinks it's the greatest. Ro- How's it a? Ch- it's just a. Sh- it's not even a. Ch- it's just. It's just a bad romantic. Comedy. I love it. I love that movie. It's That's so fine. Good. You're welcome to like it, but. Uh, yeah, it's so bad. But go ahead. So a little history before we talk about what this is. So Starman is the original IP of Stargirl. So that Starman came out like 1941. He's one of the original Golden Age comic book heroes of DC. Um, he was along with Green Lantern, uh, The Flash, like the not like how you know him now. Green Lantern, like Guy Gardner, the guy with the cap on his head. And like just a lightning bolt and wearing jeans. Uh, Green Lantern was like a wizard. Um, so it kind of started with that. Then you had the Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy, who was like the, they were young fighters and the, they're still in the 40s. These are really old comics. A whole bunch of people were starting over time. And then in the 90s, uh, Jack, um, so like the original Starman was uh, Ted Knight which is funny because like back in the forties, like ah, stars, what's kind of like stars nights. N- the night has stars. So like then the nineties, his son gets the mantle. He becomes like the new star man, but he's like nineties, like, uh, like a grungy kind of anti-establishment. And then in 2003, 2001 to 2003, uh, Jeff Johns, who was the, who was a large, like, creator in dc right now he's like the creative director at dc especially when it comes to um dc universe stuff like movies and stuff like that jeff johns created star girl and he based her off of his late sister so like he rewrote a comic and basically wrote a comic of his childhood sister that had passed away and kind of was a love letter to her and the whole story is pretty much similar to what the show is so far is a girl by the name of Courtney Whitmore comes across the cosmic staff that was once like wielded by the original Starman, who was played by Joel McHale. Um, the, the show basically starts off with like the first scene is there's a big fight in this giant building where you have Starman, black cat. Uh, there was some hintings of a green lantern. You had the Hawkman, Hawk girl, um, who else is there? Our man. Uh, who else? You had I'm trying to think of all. Anyways, the whole JSA. So the JSA in comic books is like the original Justice League. It was the golden age. Like what JSA is what Watchmen was the allegory of. Like Watchmen was kind of like a deconstruction of the JSA, basically. They even have like a round table and take pictures together, all that stuff. So but there was no Superman at this time in the JSA. So the show starts off with pretty much 
everybody except Stripesy gets killed. The Injustice Society of America, not the Justice Society of America, the Injustice Society of America groups together and kills all the JSA except for Stripes. And Stripes is played by Luke Wilson, who's also named Pat Dugan. And basically leaves the JSA in disarray. And the bad guys win. Stripes goes away. He keeps the, the staff and kind of like leaves. Then you start up. It's like 15 years later or 10, 10 years later. And you meet Courtney Whitmore. <clears throat> and Courtney Whitmore's mother has fallen in love with Pat. And they're moving to this nice little neighborhood. And when they get there, she finds out that in the basement is this giant cosmic staff. And she has a, has a liking to her and like reacts to her. So it's not supposed to happen, but for some reason she has this connection to it. And the show is just about, she's a teenager. She's 15 years old. She's new to the city. The city's very weird. These people in power, you slowly start to gather over time that all these people in power are the Injustice Society of America. It's only in two episodes I've watched, but like it's pretty clear within the first couple scenes, like, oh, that's all the bad guys in these you know, high positions of power. So let's talk about these bad guys. They are bad guys you might know, all right, such as the Icicle, all right, or uh, Brainwave. I don't know if you've heard of that guy. Uh, no. I, th- I think uh, another one's called uh, the Sportsman, where basically he, he looks like a – who's the guy from Ninja Turtles? Casey, Casey, Jones. Casey Jones. And he basically has all this stuff. There's – the wizard, who's literally a guy with a top hat and a cape and a sweet mustache and a wizard staff. And like there's all these like they're super hokey golden age villains. And you would think someone like me who likes to see a little bit more, I don't know, realism with their stuff, it looks kind of dumb. But there's something so sweet and cute about this show that it really fits very well. Like one of the guys, he's in a high position of power and he's the wizard. He just shaved his mustache off and now is in a, a, a high position in the, the city. He pulls out his weapon out of a, a like a safe and it's a wand. And it's so silly, but something about it is like, that's eh, that's pretty cool. And so like what this show does is like a pretty cool homage to the Golden Age comics and the girl's very charming and sweet and fun to watch. Um, Luke Wilson does a great job. Um, I think that he kind of like brings the whole thing together because basically he knows the history because he was the sidekick of Starman. Um, he knows how dangerous it is. She's this bright and starry-eyed girl that wants to go save the world, but he wants to keep her safe and knows that you know all of his friends just died. He wants to protect her too. And so one of the cool things that he does is he creates a giant mech. And in the show, it's very practically done when it's not moving and stuff. Obviously, the CGI when it's moving. But it's this giant mech called Stripe. Instead of him being a Stripesy, it's called Stripe. And it's basically like, it kind of looks like the Iron Giant, except maybe a quarter of the size and just kind of helps her out and stuff like that. So overall, the show is very sweet. It's cute. Um, you see how she kind of starts to create her new JSA with new characters. There's little Easter eggs here and there of different upcoming new characters that are showing up. There's a mystery of 
who is she? Why does she have the Stargirl powers? Why does the staff react to her? Um, and like, what is the JS, what is the Injustice Society of America doing in this small town and all the stuff that's going on there? Overall, I liked it a lot. I've only watched first episode, that's all that's out. It's very sweet, it's very cute. I've said that probably three times now. Um, and it's kind of like a nice, it's a decent, it's it's basically like it's like my, my Riverdale, right? But there's not Whoa. even any like, calm down, no, sorry, calm down. Don't, there's, don't, there's no don't angst say things to like it. There's no angst. Then to what's it. the point? It's just it makes you smile. It ain't it's Riverdale cool if there's show. no angst. Uh, there's not even like any like people don't understand me. It's just like I just want to save the world. And like the costume looks cool. Looks just like the costume in the the comic book. And it's just like it's just a girl trying to do the best she can to to help people. And it's just kind of a really sweet show. So if you have DCU, um. Check it out. Also, the special effects are really good. Is it going to HBO Max? A lot of DCU stuff is over there, like Doom I'm Patrol. I'm sure it will because I know Doom Patrol is going over. I'm sure it, it already will is there. over there. It came up today. Yeah, yeah, it's on my list um, of things to watch. It's 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 fun. Brendan Fraser does a good job, but uh, like the CGI in this is superb, superb. Probably some of the best TV CGI. And I know DCU has a little bit more of a of a wallet because it's you know deeper in the the Warner Brothers studio stuff, but the CGI is great. They even have Solomon Grundy. I don't know if you know who Solomon Grundy is. Yes. Like he's one of the, he is like this big hulking creature, which he is in the comic books really. And it's, it's really cool looking. It all looks pretty like there's nothing like weird rubbery stuff. It doesn't look silly. And it's also not, they do a good job, especially with, with Stripe because they literally built a robot for the set, like a giant, it doesn't move a ton. Like it's chest opens up. But like it's the mix of that practical and special that does a really good job of creating a really cool little special effects of the show. So I, I've been liking it a lot. Um, I can't wait for the next episode because Icicle comes to town and she's got to face him head on. And Icicle's the one that killed Starman to begin with. So pretty cool. Anyways, uh, that's Stargirl. It's on DCU. Um, hopefully it comes to HBO Max because I know they're getting a lot of stuff and it's a really fun Fun show to watch. So, yeah. Very cool. Uh, I have I've not played anything this week, but I have been diving pretty deeply into a new role playing game book that I backed on Kickstarter. Uh, I've gotten a couple versions of the PDF. So like the PDFs out now for purchase. And I think there's some hand a handful of uh, of actual physical copies that can be purchased. Uh, so it's a game called Electric Bastion Land. Uh, and it's written and uh, designed by Chris McDowell. Oh, say electric boogaloo. It's not, uh, but uh, but man, it really gives me. It, it really makes me think. Like whenever I say oh, electric bashland, there's been a couple times where I've accidentally made that slip. Uh, so yeah, it's written. It's uh, it's designed by Chris McDowell. It's got illustrations which are amazing. By the way, they're oh, fantastic. Like from the cover art to all of the different splashes throughout the actual PDF, and I'm assuming the hardcover book. Uh, Alex Sorensen uh, does the illustrations. Fantastic. So the game itself is it's really interesting because it's a it's a little bit of a mismatch, uh, mismatch of like a bunch of different uh, genres, so to speak. So there's a lot of genre blending going on. And that's uh, I mean, I love that. I love it when uh, games go beyond like the 
the kind of tropes, like the very specific like fantasy or the very specific like space opera. Like I like it when we try to do little mixes and matches of things. And so kind of like I would say the game, the way it's described, the world uh, takes place uh, within you know, Bastion Land or Into the Odd, I think is the previous uh, the previous publication uh, by uh, Chris McDowell, and it kind of builds on what he's done before. Uh, and so Bastion is the the centerpiece. It is a uh, a metropolis of uh, a very crowded one that uh, can be. Uh, there's like this really evocative cover of like this uh, early 20th century style of uh, of life. Uh, it's got elements of science fiction. It's got elements of like steampunk. It's got elements of fantasy. Uh, so there's a lot of that stuff blending in. So Bastion is is this really crowded metropolis from which uh, you're, the various people that you're going to play end up kind of congregating. Now, Bastion is not a, like one of the things it says is like it's not just a hub. It's not super safety. Like the game itself could take place in Bastion adventures and uh, different scenarios that you uh, that you run can take place in Bastion. But then there's a couple other places that are referred to, a couple other territories uh, deep country uh, is the name of one, and that is is kind of the countryside, uh, and it goes on for a very long time. Uh, there's all sorts of different villages; they all hate each other. The further away you get from Bastion, the kind of like the further back you go in time. Kind of uh, there's the underground, uh, which is uh, which like you can kind of delve deeper and deeper below Bastion, and there's machines and stuff that are doing things to quote undermine reality. Uh, there's also the living stars, which uh, aren't gone into as much as some of the other locations uh, within the book itself, but basically aliens. Uh, there's aliens that are inhabiting uh, this place. So if you want to get your science fiction on, uh, there's definitely, you know, in that, in that regard, uh, you can you can go ahead and do that. Now, the basic premise of the game and how you're playing is that every every player, uh, every, every person who's running a character ha- has a failed career. Uh, and there are quite a few. Uh, I was doing a lot of prep for my roll 20 for this game. And there's like over 100 failed careers. Uh, and the failed careers are nuts. So when we think of things like professions or classes from other types of games, uh, failed careers to some degree take on that concept. But this isn't a game with a dis- like a ton of skills or abilities. It's not, it's not really like that. There's a lot of like narrative driven stuff. Uh, so... You don't have to worry about the this laundry list of talents or this huge list of skills or spells like that. It doesn't really quite work that way, uh, but they're all incredibly flavorful, and they all I think inform the style uh, and and sort of the uh, the temperament of uh, of the world of Bastion or Bastion Land. Uh, so just to run through a couple of the names of a few of these, which are pretty hilarious. Uh, there's one that's called like you can so like you actually roll this at the beginning of the game. You could become you can start off the game as a disinherited socialite, uh, a fringe investigator, uh, a polar bounty hunter, uh, an acupressurist of inanimate objects, uh, which is pretty wonderful, uh, a retail therapist. Uh, I'm just I'm just grabbing random ones here. A counterfeit taxidermist, a pie smuggler, which I figured Justin would be very good at that. Uh, actually, no. You probably I like to think that the pies create a trail of smoke to your nose. Then you fly <laughs> through the air with your with your toes twinkling behind you. Listen to you. Listen to you. You're like a poet. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, a squid bagger. Uh, there's uh, an agricultural saboteur. 
Uh, there's a good dog. Like one of them you actually could play is a good dog. It's hilarious. Uh, there's the constable of birds and creeping things. And so you're kind of getting the sense of like the, there's a, there's an element of kind of whimsy, I suppose. Uh, I I've listened to some of, uh, the, the designers like deep dives. He's got some deep dives on his Twitch channel and uh, he puts them on his YouTube. So bastion land, I think just search for that either on YouTube or Twitch and you'll find them. Uh, and he talked about like some of the things that, you know, there's, there's, it's not so much a, like a horror, like hardcore game. It's more, like thematically, like there's elements of like Hitchhikers, like Hitchhikers Guide to Galaxy, like Doug, some Douglas Adams stuff and Terry Pratchett stuff. I love Terry Pratchett, Discworld. Uh, so there's there's that kind of uh, that kind of overarching theme. There's dangers, but there's not like the dangers themselves are when we view them, we view them through almost this lens of kind of cynicism in a way, uh, which is kind of uh, kind of curious. Uh, so when you st- when you start your when you start the game, like every every person who's playing, uh, with the exception of the GM, who's called the conductor in this game, um, what they do is they they there's only three you have three statistics or, or attributes, whatever you want to call them, uh, and it's uh, strength, dexterity, and charisma. Those are your three things, and that's all you really got to worry about in terms of stats. Like there's a couple other components. There's like hit protection, so HP basically, and then there's money. Uh, and a few other elements that, that might pop up as you play. But what you do is you roll 3d6, you get a number, and that's your stat. And uh, and whenever you want to, uh, you know, whenever you're out doing things, uh, you're going to periodically roll saves. Uh, and so saves are just rolling like a d20. So it's a d20 system. You roll a d20 uh, if you're equal to or under the stat. So if, if I'm asking you to roll a strength save because, you know, you just got hit by a car or something like that, and you're trying to, like, withstand it or a deck save if you're trying to dodge away something like that uh you roll your d20 if it's equal to or lower than your the stat that you're in it's a success and you're good now rolling in this game what one of the things i found really interesting is that this it doesn't necessarily um it it, it almost rolls light in the sense that there's not a ton of rolling that you seem to have to do it usually seems like uh rolling is only really done if something's at risk which is supposed to really be true of most role-playing games but for some reason like as i was reading through this it felt like even it's something you, you come to even less like and and uh what's it called in combat for instance like combat is is curious because normally what you do in a lot of these role-playing games we've been playing is you have your initiative your order you it comes around to you you go all right i want to attack that thing okay roll to attack all right you're good you roll to attack you hit cool now roll now let me see if they roll to defend okay they roll to defend or parry or whatever they didn't do that okay now roll your damage okay you rolled your damage now let's compare the damage to this and so there's a lot of steps to it in a way that honestly after you play the game a while it becomes super intuitive and fast but in in electric bashland it's it's so much quicker because like when you when you actually do combat like if you have, say there's four people, four PCs playing and you're fighting against like, you know, three different monsters of some kind and you you all sort of have to identify at the start of like a round of combat, like who are you attacking, right? And so you do, and so you roll damage at the same time. You don't even have to roll to attack. You just roll damage. And so so like if if Justin and I are targeting one monster, we both roll our damage at the same time and we all have different weapons and things that are determined by our failed careers or things we might have found uh, throughout our treasure hunting or things we might have purchased or traded for, etc. So different weapons, etc. So let's say like we're talking we're, we're attacking this some weird, you know, crazy machine uh, from the underground. And Justin and I both declare that we want to we're attacking that one. Okay, so Justin's weapon does 
does D8 worth of damage. My weapon does D6. And we both are like, hey, we're, we're going to team up. And so we both go. The uh, machine gets a chance to like do like a deck save or something like that to like, sort of dodge out. Um, or maybe a strength save. I can't remember. But anyway, we both roll our damage dice. And whichever dice is, whatever result is higher is how much damage we do to it. Uh, damage is taken off of HP. And then once HP is, is you know cleaned up, goes to strength. Uh, if you start taking a bunch of strength damage, you could eventually take some critical, uh, some critical injury stuff. Uh, and if your strength ever gets reduced to zero, you die. Like it's super simple and it seems like combat moves very, very fast. Uh, there's not a ton of like mechanical, uh, like stunts or, uh, or, or abilities or things like that to do. Um, some of the failed careers, give you a couple special odds and ends. Like one of the ones that I rolled, like had the ability to like levitate, you know? Uh, so you can get some things from there, but there's not, again, there's not like a chapter that just has a bunch of talents or a chapter that just has a bunch of spells. Like it doesn't really work that way. Um, the other thing that happens is that there are these things called oddities uh, that periodically show up throughout the course of, uh, of an adventure, right? Of a scenario. Uh, these reminded me a lot of ciphers from a Numenera, cipher system, etc. So they, there are these one or two or three use, like limited use, very powerful items uh, that do something weird and cool, right? But there's usually some kind of drawback to them. The drawback could just be like they only work once or twice, or the drawback could be like it harms you in some way, or the drawback could be like it draws attention to you, whatever it might be. Uh, but there's those things that you can start as a conductor peppering around an adventure for your players to pick up and start using in kind of cool and interesting ways. Uh, so I really, really like the failed career component. Now, there's a couple different ways that you can establish what your failed career are. Uh, the default way is that you take your, there's like a little matrix. So like the X, the, you know, the, the X part of the grid is like your, like your lowest attribute and the, the Y part is like your highest attribute. And so whatever numbers you got, you just kind of figure out on that matrix what career you get. The other way is you just do like a random D100 stuff and then that determines what you are. Um, the failed career aspect though, is like, that's what you were trying to be and you failed at. That's not necessarily who you're going to be. Right. Uh, so it should still probably to some degree inform some of the things you're doing, but it's nonetheless, you failed at it. The other cool thing is that you had the, the, the whole, uh, motivation of the game for players is that they're in debt. So every single player is in debt to something. And so as a group, usually, uh, so to say there's four players, you determine who you're in debt to, and you're in, in each one of the failed careers has a specific entity, uh, to use a broad term, that you will be indebted to, and that could change things. And so that overall has a, it kind of informs the adventure, informs the adventuring party, the treasure hunters, and uh, and it might also give some other mechanical benefit or detriment or component to the game. Uh, and so it's determined by whoever the youngest person is, whatever their, their class is. But obviously, if you wanted to do something else, you can do something else. But that's kind of the idea. So it's like randomly driven. There's so much in this book that's all about helping the players and specifically the conductor help kind of almost randomly generate a lot of what's going on. Now, there are chapters in the PDF that go over the different major areas. So there's like a big chapter on Bastion. Uh, the actual city. There's a big, it's a good, you know, 10 pages or so. There's a big chapter on deep country, big chapter on the underground. And each one of them talks to you about thematically what this place is like. So what is it kind of, what's the feel? Like, what's it like? So that you can kind of set 
whatever you know your adventure in a, a suitable place and, and you can use those small little prompts to help you uh, better describe the adventure that you're on the treasure that you're on or find a location like either within one of the boroughs of bastion or maybe within a village in deep country something like that where that you want to place your adventure whether it's one you created yourself or maybe one that you found on like drive through or something like that uh, that you want to adapt and translate for this game uh, so in each of these these chapters or these locations there's all sorts of little rollable charts that you can use to help populate the area with interesting things uh, and then there's a whole sub subcategory a whole a whole other chapter that's on people right on how to make the the places that they're going bastion and all these other locations filled with interesting people uh, one of the cool things I like, one of the little notes that they made uh, in the book is that the failed careers section, which again is a good 200 pages long with 100 plus different failed careers that you could potentially start off as. It's not just for the players, like it's for the actual conductor as well to use those as ways to uh, to fill out the NPCs that characters will come in contact with. Now, part of the, the part of the the rules say that the conductor should also, as the character, as the players are rolling up characters, they should also roll up like a rival character, so that looks like a rival treasure hunting group. But there's no reason you can't also just use the failed careers as a way to help flesh out some of the NPCs that you're going to come in that they're going to come in contact with. Lots of really cool things going on. Uh, there, there, the rules of the game are not hard, and there, there's really not a lot of pages that are dedicated to them. So I would say maybe 15 to 20 pages or so of the book, the first 15 or 20 pages are like the rules. After that, it's like a bunch of pages on failed careers, which you only really have to, as a player, go to when yours is chosen, right? When you're randomly allocated one. And then as the conductor, obviously you're reading what you want to read to help kind of inspire the game that you're creating. So I love like randomizing stuff so that we don't get into the habit of just doing the same stuff over and over again. The randomization of it to me is a way to to really stretch our creativity. And so when we're using various tables to help generate different concepts or when we're putting specific restraints on ourselves here and there, it helps make our creativity uh, kind of extend beyond what it normally is used to. So we're just not getting into the habit of running the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, towards the end of the book, there's your usual, the equivalent of like a like a monster manual, if you want to think about it in those terms. There's a bunch of different machines and aliens and what they call mockeries and monstrosities that you can kind of go through, uh, things that the characters might have to encounter along the way. Uh, because the the premise of the game is that these these characters are in debt, and they, the only, the only salvation they have to get themselves out of that debt is to go hunting for treasure. And so, treasure is just like the you know broad concept. But whether they're hunting for treasure in like a part of a bastion that has like gangsters and things like that, and you're trying to like break into that 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 building and steal whatever it is they have, or if you're going to like some kind of academic university to steal some sort of science science experiment from a uh, from a professor or whether you're going out into deep country and there's some, you know, some village somewhere doesn't even realize that they came across something so uh, fundamentally amazing that you can just snatch it from underneath the, underneath their noses. You can do whatever you want. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of guidance in the game when it comes to mapping the world uh, specific because there's no one universal map of Bastion. 
So don't expect to have like in the book itself, don't expect to have like one map and like this is where everything's located. No, 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 no. Bastion is like constantly changing, constantly growing, evolving, like stuff like that. And so you are then you then have the flexibility uh, as the as the conductor to kind of do what you want, right? And there's advice for how to like set up like landmarks. Like you have two different landmarks. So characters start at point A and they're going to point B and then you travel. Like whether and don't let travel just be like, you know, don't don't turn the game off. Like have stuff happen. There's random encounters tables that are pretty fantastic. Uh, there's different locations that you could potentially pull from in some of those tables to make use of things. Different failed careers, different monsters, and different you know weird uh, monstrosities and odd folks that you're going to meet along the way. So there's a lot of really really good uh, really really good things that you can you can kind of pull from this game when it comes to uh, kind of helping your you know, helping your creativity. Uh, again, mechanically, the game's not too not too complex, and I really feel like it's the type of game that if I sat down to run it, I could probably just teach players as we go, uh, because it's really simple. Like you just roll saves when I call for you to roll saves, and that's about it. Um, there's a lot of really good advice for how to. Uh, make sure characters are are getting to inter- interact with like an area or a scene, uh, and, and give them choice. Uh, be f- you know forthright about it. Uh, give them information and and kind of let them go with it. Give them, you know, it always it says like, like the advice it gives you is like, whenever you get to a location, give them two options, right, and set them apart from one another. Which means that the characters have to make a choice, right? Do they go this way or do they go that way, right? So I think that's just basically good design, right? It gives characters the options to do things that uh, that they want to do. But um, yeah, I mean, there's really not a whole lot. There are scars and things like that that you can get if you take too much damage, like from uh, you know from from taking damage in combat. Uh, there's fun ways that you can kind of reset your skill, your your attribute scores. So if like your strength and your dex and whatever are low, there's a variety of mechanisms in game. Uh, whether it's getting a scar and getting a chance to re-roll some of those things, or if it's like using some sort of specialized experimental technology to try it, like you can do stuff like that. So it's not like you're forever tied to you know that one particular set of stats. So there's ways to 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 mitigate or at least to correct or alter some of that random randomization if you're if you have players that don't aren't too keen on that kind of stuff. But uh, I love it. We haven't played it yet. Uh, but I have spent the past three or four days messing around with uh, trying to put something together to run on run this on roll twenty. So I got some things in there ready to go. Uh, we are jam packed with like four different RPG shows that I'm doing per week. So I'm gonna try to figure out a way to squeeze this in, maybe over the course of June, and put it up on the Twitch channel uh, at some point so that we can uh, we can give it a try. It looks really fun. It looks really easy to get into. And I, I really like the early 20th century part sci-fi, part steampunk, part fantasy, part, you know, weird alien horror stuff, like weird stuff going on in it. So uh, it's got like endless potential as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. So if you're curious about it, just go to bastionland.com. Uh, that's uh, kind of the hub for all of his content. Chris McDowell, uh, you can purchase the PDF uh, from DriveThruRPG. You can purchase the hard the hardback from, I believe, BastionLand.com if you're interested in getting a hardback. Uh, so take a look at it. Looks really fun. So uh, with that aside, Justin and I are going to move to our next uh, exploration of the TV of yesteryear, whatever the hell we're calling this stupid segment. 
Uh, but uh, we decided this week that we were going to look at Quantum Leap. Now, Quantum Leap is available for free on NBC.com. Uh, you can also find it at a couple different streaming services for like $2.99 or something like that per episode, uh, or just go to NBC.com and watch it there. Uh, so Quantum Leap is created by Donald P. Belisario. It stars Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. Uh, Scott Bakula is the time traveler who's hopping, who, who's leaping from time to time uh, and trying to, and hoping that his next leap will be his leap home. Uh, Dean Stockwell, uh, he plays Al. I should I should have said Scott Bakula, uh, Bakula plays uh, Sam Beckett. And then Dean Stockwell plays Al, who's like the holographic friend who is there to help guide him. Uh, through a variety of his leaps. Uh, the the show first came out in March of 1989, and it ran until May of 93. So it's got like five seasons, four or five seasons. Uh, it looks like there's 97 episodes, so it's a pretty good long amount. Um, so the first couple episodes, so just like old... You know, like the old premise of like pilots of of yesteryear. First episode, if you start watching this, is definitely one of those longer ones, right? Two hours, etc. It's like a double app. And then you got the second episode itself. So the basic premise is that Samuel Beckett or Sam has decided a little bit uh, haphazardly or recklessly uh, to trigger his leap project. They have this quantum leap project because Samuel Beckett, uh, Sam Beckett is a, uh, a genius. He's got all sorts of PhDs and all kind of stuff, and uh, and so is Al, who is like an ex uh, an ex uh, NASA astronaut and whatnot. Uh, but they decide, uh, as part of whatever company and organization that they're working for, they're they're kind of messing around with time travel. And so, unbeknownst to Al, Sam decides to jump back into the in the past, and so he does, and it works. The problem is that Sam loses his memory. Uh, and so he doesn't fully understand what's going on. So he he hops back into like the, was it the 1940s or something like that? Uh, and when he's in there, uh, he's he basically hops back into the uh, the body of a of a pilot, of an army pilot uh, who is testing a, a variety of new um, uh, uh, new planes. They're trying to kind of break the sound barrier, go even faster, go the, I think it's Mach three. They're trying to get through if I recall correctly. And so he is trying to figure out who he is. Cause he, he remembers vaguely little bits and pieces. And somehow he knows that he's not in the right body, but like, he doesn't know exactly who he is. And since he doesn't know how to fly, he's freaking out, but his turn is coming up to actually fly the experimental spacecraft. And if he, you know, and he doesn't, he's afraid to go out, go about doing it. He's got a pregnant wife who is confused why, while why he's confused. He's got a kid who he has to like raise. He's got a bunch of buddies who are pilots and they don't really, uh, you know, they, they kind of cut him some slack. I think he's just making a bunch of jokes, et cetera. But nonetheless, this is the difficulty that he faces. Al starts showing up, but, um, uh, Sam doesn't quite know how to 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 how to make sense of Al since Al seems to be able to walk through walls and through planes and no one else can see him. That's and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually, as becomes the 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 formula for the show, they figure out what problem that Sam has to fix in order for him to leap out. And so obviously he does. Second episode, uh, if you watched it. Uh, the second episode deals uh, with him being a lecherous. Uh, Sam jumps into a, a fairly lecherous, sleazy uh, liberal arts English professor. So I felt personally attacked. 
uh, in this, in like during the, you know, during the, the, the late sixties or, you know, seventies. And he was convinced that he was back. He, he was left here because he was going to have a second chance with his, with his fiance who left him at the altar and in, in back in modern time, uh, played by Terry Hatcher. And, uh, and all the while, like there's this other, this other student that he has in his, in his liberal arts course. It's one of his English literature courses that is like throwing herself at him. And so, et cetera, it's all happening during Watergate. And so anyway, there's, it's all about him thinking that he's supposed to get a second chance with uh, Terry Hatcher, but it's really about him trying to help Terry Hatcher come to terms with her, uh, her, her, her problems that she has with her father and helping one of the other students to not throw her life away uh, by getting married to an old crusty rundown literature professor and instead get married to a young uh, wrestling co-ed or whatever. So that's Quantum Leap, first two characters, or first two episodes. Justin, what do you think of the show now that you've watched it again? Eh, I mean, I watched, I never watched it as a kid. Um, it was on, it wasn't a show that anyone in my family ever watched. Um, I was unaware that he also had suffered from amnesia of who he was in the future. I didn't, I didn't know that either. Uh, even adding that little spice into it it was just like meh. doesn't last forever like he has he has holes and stuff yeah right but like it doesn't last forever but like overall the show wasn't terribly intriguing like i get it it's interesting um like the the concept i'm sure for the time it was somewhat uh new or an idea that really wasn't explored very much but like it's just kind of like meh, not terribly well, I mean, intrigued by it. The, the the premise is a good premise. Name another another show that has that premise. Well, it's just like going to different times and stuff. It's just it's an interesting idea, but like plays on that. Like I'm sure have occurred. It just and also I've known of this premise since I've been a child, so it really wasn't terribly fresh to me. Um, I just think like the acting's not bad. Special effects aren't bad for late 80s, early 90s. You know, it's not terrible. Um, the practical effects of like the different, you know, set designs and stuff, not bad. Um, nothing really annoyed me about it. I don't know if I can agree with you me. on some of that. Like, there's a lot of different, there's a, <laughs> I mean, especially in episode one, because episode one had a lot of like stock footage of fighter planes and jets and stuff. That well, there's were, that one where it was like, don't turn while you're yeah. going Mach two and a half, and just like yeah. someone has it like on a string, just start twisting it. Yeah, so you it's know? not. I mean, it's not great, but then again, it does doesn't really have to be. There's not a ton of there's not a ton of effects heavy shots. Yeah, it's this. more like it's more like problem solving and emotional stuff. It's more um, set design of like getting, you know, getting the set design or getting uh getting costumes for like different eras, right? Like getting yeah, and, and getting the feel of of the different you know time that they're in. Right. Um but I feel like each episode kind of has the same formulaic feel to it where it's like, okay, where am I? What am I doing? I can't figure out what I'm doing yet because the computer hasn't told me. Let's wait halfway through the episode. Halfway through the episode I figure out what the issue is. Let's solve the issue. And it seems like that's right. kind of what the whole thing is yeah i mean that that basically is it i mean obviously there's going to be some two-parters and there's there's down the line and i don't remember when this happened uh but uh there was a the, we learned that there was like a second project company that was doing the same thing that he was doing they were sending people back in time 
uh, they were sending a woman back in time, except their their aims were actually far more selfish. They weren't just like the do the morally right thing or put right what once was wrong, which is like the tagline of what Sam does. And instead, like she was doing things that, I mean, to put wrong so that somebody else can benefit probably in the future. Because one of the one of the rules that Samuel Beck Sam Beckett put in place was that you cannot use the time travel to benefit your future self in any way. Like you just can't do it. And they adhere to that. And although Sam does like initially want to try to get a second chance with Terry Hatcher, uh, he eventually understands not to do that. And he does call his father at one point because he's, his father passed away and he never, and he's kind of harboring this, uh, this guilt ever, not like a, you know, not seeing him enough or not coming home for like Thanksgiving and all sorts of weird things. Uh, but he was able to actually hear his father's voice and talk to him on the phone. So, but in terms of like getting better in the future, that doesn't happen for them. So there's like that secondary, uh, that secondary storyline kind of pops up every now and there's like a recurring couple of, a uh, uh, couple of episodes where it happens. Um, and he obviously befriends the, you know, the woman who is, is hopping and she seems to like be genuinely feel guilty about some of the things she's doing. So I still remember that part a bit. And then, 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 then there's the whole overarching question is that can, if, and when he gets to go home, because each he's like the, the, when you listen to the opening credits or when you listen to like, like the, the over the voiceover, it's like hoping each leap will be his leap home. So this guy's stuck. He's like, he can't get home. He can't get back to the present day. So I've always, I always thought like that was a cool overarching concept and was super tragic, but I also don't feel, don't remember it ever really being explored too greatly. You know, like just think about five years of being caught up in quantum entanglement and never being able to go home and knowing who you yeah, are. You know, it's, it kind of becomes like the back burner of like, oh my God, I haven't been home for five years, but you know what? I'm this fry cook in the 1980, 1985. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of like, I get you're trying to do your job, but like, Shouldn't you be a little bit more concerned about what's going on with you? I, I don't know. It, to me, it just wasn't terribly great. Um, I didn't think it was bad in any means. I honestly think that the guy who played was a bird dog was far more handsome than Scott Bakula. Um, and uh, I know that's a, 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 a rough thing to hear because Scott Bakula is also a captain of the USS Enterprise. but um i wonder if like maybe he was up for the role and they gave him that role for the the co-pilot in the first episode instead it's just interesting because like he like i was looking at the cast thing because i always do that when i'm watching his amazon stuff i look at the cast stuff i'm like oh my god this man's gorgeous like they have like a recent shot of him and a recent shot of scott back to them like dear god (laughs) this man's an adonis but uh i don't have anything to say about it it's kind of like it's it's okay um, I don't really have a desire to watch any more of it either. So that's out. I, it's really a lukewarm reception that I had for it. Hmm. I am um, like, it was, it was fine for me. Like I did watch it a bunch when I was younger. Um, it's actually one of the shows my mother would regularly watch. And so she and I watched it together a bunch. So I have fond memories of that. Um, it, it's, it's a definitely an successful show. And I don't think it, I don't think it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't hold up. Like there's some, there's definitely a couple moments that I, I was like, okay, okay, Al's a little creepy. Like uh I felt inside. Oh yeah, the little... opening scene, like immediately like, oh geez, Al's like, like 
Ooh, yeah. This is a predator right there. There's a couple moments, and then you know we've talked about it before. There's there's one scene. There's one episode. One, one episode is a great episode. The where he but. just he hops into like a uh, I, I can't remember. I think it was a guy with it might have been a guy with Down syndrome and something. And so like yeah, Down syndrome. Yeah, and there's like language that was used that definitely is not like <laughs> doesn't hold up. Doesn't hold up in 2020. But I mean, we can't use necessarily we can't necessarily use like modern day standards to assess that kind of language or whatever. But I actually think it's a it's a pretty decent show um, that. Is still accessible. I don't think that they really ever get too heavily into the science fiction to where it makes us question the science fiction. It's it's as much magical as it is sci-fi. And then like there's this weird, uh, there's this weird kind of like destiny component or fate component because he's like helping somebody else, right? Like he's got this moralistic des- design on doing something, putting something right, which is fascinating to me uh, in some regard. Uh, is that it's not just about him going to different places, but somehow through the use of Ziggy, their their computer, like they've come to the conclusion that the only way he can get out is if he can untangle himself from whatever wrong was happening, which always is sort of strange because that means he's constantly changing the future. He's constantly changing the future. And so many other time travel shows and movies are always talking about, well, don't change the future, right? Butterfly effect. Be careful of that kind of stuff. And yet he is drastically changing the future in some way. In the first episode, uh, the, the guy that he jumps into is supposed to die while trying to uh, while trying to test uh, test fly this uh, this new jet. And not only that, but his wife was supposed to lose a baby in labor and things like that. so. And all that was fixed, which is great. But, you know, why those people? Right? I've always kind of curious, like, why those people? Uh, but anyway, I, I think it was an interesting show. I I mean, it's um, it's not super sci-fi. It's more drama. It's more of a drama show. And it's more of a, a drama with a, a concept, a high concept that becomes, in my opinion, too episodic. And I think also didn't really explore enough the depth of character and how much this is, what this is doing to him. It, after a while, it just doesn't feel like Sam should be as coherent as he is after five years of doing this and how many jumps he's doing. And I always wish they would have gone a little darker with it and a little more psychological with it towards the end. Uh, the, the very end, by the way, um, is kind of, is kind of a bummer in a way, because if I recall, Sam never goes home. He's, he's still leaping and Al like basically has to quit cause he's, he's got a new wife and he's, she's got to like dedicate whatever, to to that so if i recall that's how it ended it's been a long time since i've seen this series a series finale but i don't think he ever actually made doesn't it he end out. up constantly leaping with the woman though like that's how he just spends the rest of his life with her i'm pretty sure i'm looking at it here i'm like looking up a summary right now um so they didn't know whether or not quantum leap was going to be renewed for season six and so they did one of those things where all right here's a season finale but also a series finale if we could. So we didn't, so I guess the idea, if we brought him home, that would kind of seal the deal of it being the end of the show. So they didn't bring him home, Uh, but they did tack on. It says two screenshots to the last episode. One, uh, Al's first wife, uh, Beth never remarried. So that's how they came together and had like four daughters and stuff. And the two, and and that's why Al kind of came out of the program to sort of, I guess, spend time with his family. Sam never returned home. And yeah, I do, I do remember that. And it was a very like stark ending that was just almost abrupt and like, wait, what? Uh, so I remember there I was know. a TV show. I don't know. I forget what show it was. I think it may have been Community or something. 
where Scott Bakula is playing as like a janitor or whatever. Yeah. And then they, they make a reference that he is Sam. And like, but then like at the end of the episode, like he legitimately is Sam still on another leap. Yeah. So I forget which show it was though. There's, there's other like rumors I'm reading here about like possible alternate endings that were leaked uh, or that were talked about here where Al actually becomes a time traveler himself and goes back in time to try to help get Sam back and stuff like that. But I mean, there's kind of mixed, uh, mixed information on whether that was legit or not. Scott Bakula says some of it was, and then Scott Belisario says, you know, some of it isn't. So it's a little bit, um, yeah, it's hard to tell, but I actually think it's a good show. It's, it's to me a show that, I have fond memories of just watching it with my mother. Uh, I don't think any single episode like really stands out as being, this was just an amazing app that you have to go and watch. Uh, it's episodic, even though there's the I overarching one story that everyone should watch. Okay. Which one? Is it the one where he, he became a woman? No, the one where he's the down syndrome kid. Well, that's because, because you're, you're a jerk. Uh, it's, just, so. it's the most ridiculous concept i can't believe that was ever on tv but like and like you said it is a different time like the language even used is just so shocking but it's a completely different time where like the, the language is so different well i mean each 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 era he goes into like that's part of it right is trying to get authenticity of the era authenticity of the diction like in the first step they talk about the word nerd right like what's a nerd honey what's a nerd well nerd nerd as a concept i looked it up just to double check them because this takes place in the 40s nerd as a concept didn't really come into play until the 50s and so, yeah, it makes sense. There is no nerd, right? And then he's talking about electric razors and things. So I think there's there's definitely that. A couple of years ago on NBC, uh, they they started running a, a show called Timeless, uh, which was very similar in that, except it wasn't a singular person and they weren't stuck in the past, but it was a group of time travelers that were going back into the past to try and fix things that this other creepy corporate element was going back and breaking for, you know, some sort of some sort of corporate benefit in the future. And so there's a little bit of that kind of going on. Uh, and they also very much were trying to have authenticity about, but they were going back to far, far further in the past, uh, like hundreds of years, whereas most of the Bacula stuff is, is just a 20th century at some point. So, uh, but quantum leap, I would put it, let's see if we were doing our rankings still Briscoe is still number one, uh babylon probably two that's a hard me. mountain to climb i think though. quantum leap tough. would be three for me i would put it above outer limits and i would put it above uh i would definitely put it over above highlander yeah. i would put it below babylon five okay that's what i would do all right so my rankings of it that is it for this week. If you like what we're doing, uh, go ahead and catch us on Twitter. Maybe give us some ideas about other things we can watch and cover. Uh, I'm at Lollygagger Co. Justin's at Buys Justin. You can catch all our content on our website, thelollygaggers.com. Uh, that includes episodes of this show and all of our other shows, both audio and video. Uh, so you can go ahead and take, take a look there. Uh, catch Justin and I every Thursday on twitch.tv slash RPG, where we play in a, uh, a tabletop role-playing game, like a little uh, television drama, uh, and uh, roll some dice and make some stupid jokes. Uh, but that'll be 7 p.m. Pacific, uh, 9 p.m. Central. So come check us out, say hi. Uh, and then that's, yeah, that's about it. So Justin, I guess my question for you then, since we were just watching a show about time travel, 
Uh, if you could time travel to one specific point in the past, uh, what would it be and why? That's a good question. Um, I would travel back to, let's say, I don't know. That's a tough question. I, I think it's like, like the first time I've ever really stumped you. Yeah, you've always been pretty good. I can't come up with a yes and real quick enough. Mm. Uh, I'd say uh 1970 because i just want to know how smelly it was back then oh for crying out loud so i feel like it's a really smelly area that's what we waited i don't even i kind of want to cut this because this wasn't even any good because i i don't i don't think that and now your cough oh god this is awful some deodorants were were highly used back then and i know it was a very every time i watch like a tv show it seems a very sweaty era the 1970s. Yes, because television shows are so well known for their historical accuracy. Yeah, I just want to know the smells of the 70s. Yeah. 